Appreciate that opening song, worship team, and those opening words. Corky, we are grateful for you. And there is, a, by the Spirit of God, there is a solidarity among us that remains as the people of God, even though uh, these are times that certainly are testing us. And they're testing our spirituality, these cultural times. And so these are wonderful times and wonderful opportunities to press in to know what life is really about, to know what God is really about. And what God has called us to and his um, requirements for us. We're going to read about some of those this morning in our song. And we just welcome you here in the house of God. We're going to, that was just our opening song. We're going to have a time where we get to sing our praises to the Lord, express our worship and exalt him. We're going to come together as the body of Christ and celebrate the Lord's supper in remembrance of him. And right now we're going to devote ourselves to God's holy word. This is an incredible book passed down through millennium so that we can pour ourselves in it into it this very day. And I pray that we would hang on the words of the psalm that we're going to look at. So on communion Sundays, we practice communion once a month. And just to change things up a little bit, um, I preach on a psalm and the series is it's an ongoing series entitled God Tunes because these are the tunes, these are the songs of the saints that were actually ex, um, inspired by God. So they're not just good songs or catchy songs. This is the inspired word of God. And the God tune for this morning is Psalm 146. Psalm 146, and I'm going to read, it's just 10 verses and I'm going to read those for us in just a few minutes. The last, there's, as you know, in the, the, um, the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. And of course, Psalm 119 is the longest. It's kind of in the middle. But the last five Psalms, if you ever turn there, you'll notice they're kind of a group. Because the last five Psalms are like a crescendo of praise. Almost every other word of the psalmist is praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Praise the Lord. So that's the theme, and that's the theme of this psalm. And I think it's a wonderful theme because what it reminds us of is that no matter what came before these psalms, and we've been in psalms for a couple years now, and you know that the psalmists, they deal with every issue that man has to face. And they don't cut corners. You find all kinds of difficult things, but at the end of the day, what you find is praise. And so we don't always understand God's ways. We don't always understand what God could be doing in our lives. How is this going to turn out? Does God know how painful this is? Does he know how difficult it is? But at the end of the day, as is in this psalm, believers know that though we don't have it all figured out, we know enough about God to know that he is worthy of our praise. And that's the reminder of these psalms, that no matter what we're experiencing, think about the nature of God and the glory of God. He is always worthy of our praise. And so all of our religious, spiritual contemplations should end in praise at the end of the day. I liked what we sang in that opening song where one of the lines said, every sin is accounted for. And as I sung that, I thought, how is that possible? Do you know how many sins there are 
in this world. And I was thinking about all the rain we've had. Every drop has a purpose and a place in the economy of God. Every sin and every good work has a purpose and a place. And it's all accounted for. Towards the end of the sermon, we'll see how that is true. So this psalm, Psalm 146, is going to give us a lot of reasons why God is praiseworthy. But I want to tell you up front that the one reason that we're going to focus in on this morning is that God is a just God. So there's other things in there, but I just wanted to show you up front that God is a just God. And that's what we're going to focus in on. And we are in a day and age where all we hear about seems like is justice and injustice. Actually, we hear more about injustices. That's an injustice. That's an injustice than we do about justice. So our culture is really struggling. All of a sudden, everybody has a sense of morality, a sense of what's right and what's wrong and what's just and what isn't. And people are very, very passionate about it, whether it's founded on solid ground or not. So we have our opinions, we have our our passions and our emotions. Let's just read what God's word says. The word of God that never fades away. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, and the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So just by way of it, just only fair to, to only write to do kind of a quick summary of what the psalmist is teaching us here or singing about this morning. Obviously, the first two verses have to do with praise. Praise the Lord. That's, it's an invitation for all peoples of the earth to contemplate God and to praise God. And it's the hallelujah, which means praise be to God. A hallelujah, interestingly enough, is, has also kind of become a cultural uh, term. And I, I was looking at an exercise video this week. And to get people pumped up, the person said, hallelujah. And I thought... They apparently don't know what that word means because they just said, praise be to God on this exercise video. But it's become more of a let's get pumped up, you know, an exciting kind of thing. So hallelujah in the first two verses and then verses three through four is an exhortation for the people of God to not put their trust in man. To not man has his limitations. And man will not be around forever. His, his plans will not be around forever. 
So we have to be real careful about where we place our ultimate hope. And our ultimate hope needs to be on God. Man's time is limited. And the psalmist puts it in terms of his breath. Isaiah 2.22 says, Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? And the idea is that man is mortal and really we're just one breath away. Have you ever thought about how vulnerable we are? We like to think of ourselves as immortal. Nothing can stop us. And the reality is we are one breath. One breath away from death. And so the psalmist wants to warn us not to put all of our hope into man, no matter how good the situation might see, seem for dust you are made, and dust you will return. Dirt, earth, that's what man is made of. So the exhortation is put your ultimate hope in God. His plans are forever. His being is forever. You cannot wear him out. You cannot wear him down. And so he is the most praiseworthy. And if you think about it, it just makes sense. Why put, your, put your, um, your effort and energy into adoring something or praising something ultimately that's not going to last? We already know the end of the story. God wins. God's eternal. God's almighty. And so that's where we want to put our ultimate expressions of praise. Verses 5 through 9, are the, it's a beatitude. It's a blessing. So blessed are those. You get a blessing from God when you put your hope in God. And that should remind us, because we went through the Gospel of Matthew, the Beatitudes, where Jesus lays it out. If you really want to be blessed by God, there are certain things that you can do. So in Matthew 5, blessed are the pure of heart. What's the blessing? They will see God. So there's something about struggling in life for a pure heart restraining yourself from sin and, and uh, driving after righteousness that will enable you to see God more clearly. And then there's this other blessing that comes for those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. They will inherit the kingdom of God. So you see that the, the blessings ultimately that we get in this life, they're God. They're they're the kingdom of God. They're the person of God, the spirit of God, seeing God clearly, experiencing God more powerfully and, and closely and eminently. And there's a blessing that comes, the psalmist says, simply in when you decide, I am putting my hope in God, there's a blessing that opens up for us. So we get God, we get his kingdom. And then we see in verse 5, he remains forever. He sets the prisoners free. In 6, 7, he gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. So these are all reasons to praise him and to put our hope in him. And he watches over the defenseless. But the word used to describe all of these wonderful actions, solid reasons to worship God, is found in verse 7. He executes justice for the oppressed. See, God is up to something. And this psalm is realizes this, he knows this, he's experienced it, he sees it, he knows this about the character of God, and he says this is why he is so 
praiseworthy. One of the reasons he does this is because he has this sense of justice. Because he's just, he's constantly executing justice in this fallen world. You know, it's interesting that a lot of what we hear today in, in, in the media and so forth and documentaries is how oppressive the Bible is. You just hear it all the time. People are picking on the Bible, making fun of the Bible, kicking the Bible because it is so absolutely oppressive to the, to the modern mindset. That's not true at all. Now, there are, unfortunately, there are Christians who may have acted in an unjust and oppressive way in our fallenness, in our sin, and it gives, it's a bad reflection of God. But God is one who sets free. God liberates. And many of the freedoms and even just the idea of justice and liberty and rights have, have been birthed out of Holy Scripture. You know, there are things that didn't even, it didn't even dawn on man to think that it could be any other way until God's word was brought to them. So maybe Christians are the source of oppression, but not God. God's word promotes justice. And here's an example. A very familiar scripture, Micah 6, 8, where it talks specific, specifically about what does the Lord require of you? Have you ever asked, you know, God, what do you want from me? What are you after in me? Well, he says, as one example in Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? So there's something on our plate right there. But what does it look like to, to be a person that walks humbly before God? Well, you'll find a person that loves mercy. And you'll find a person that does Justice. So justice isn't just a theoretical concept. It's not just an idea that's out there. Justice has feet and hands. Justice is, is a standard, but it's also a standard that is executed by God and by God's people. So let's press into this idea for the remainder of our time about justice. The Hebrew word for Justice is mispaught, and it's in scriptures hundreds of times, which should tell us a little bit about God's care for justice. You, you can barely read a book of the Bible without it coming up. So we want to understand what justice is. So justice has to do, as an illustration, if you've seen this before, scales. It has the idea of what's right and what's wrong. God is the absolute standard of justice. He is perfect. He's holy. He's pure. There is no wrong. There's no darkness. There's no evil in him. And he knows precisely what's right and wrong, what's just and unjust. Whereas we're mixed up about it. And then you think about that scripture in Hebrews where the word of God divides things. If you leave us to ourselves, we're going to justify all kinds of our actions. Then you come to God's word and it's going to slice and dice and say, there's sin here. There's wrong motivation here. There's a wrong attitude here. It's not as easy as we think. 
God's a God of justice. And, th- and so he can hold in his being, in his mind, all of the rights and wrongs, every attitude, every action. And it's based on what is deserved. So it has to do with earnings. And when you, when you do things wrong, you have just earned for yourself a negative punishment. When you do right, the scales of justice, you're rewarded for those things. So you deserve, justice is something you deserve that you've earned, whether it's negative or positive, based on your attitudes and your actions under the rule of God, under the standard of God, not under our culture standard, not under what we might write, 10 things that we think are just or unjust in this world. This is based on God, the ultimate judge. So it has to do with giving people their due. You got the negative side of punishment, the positive side of reward. So we're used to hearing in our culture, especially today, about the negative side of punishment. I want justice. I've been wronged. Now somebody last year about this time stole my truck. Now this is an example. This is real life. Stole my truck, messed me up. Here we were at the just celebrated Josiah's wedding. We're in Maine. We're headed on vacation to Nova Scotia. And it's just, it's just messing with my head. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I had things in it. All my tools were in it. I had rental keys in it. Somebody, they might see the address and break into all my, you know. And it, it robbed me of peace. I was wronged. And I wanted justice. I wanted my truck back. I wanted, so we, we hear about justice. And people need to be punished, Scripture says. If you do wrong, you need to. You've earned some degree of punishment. And the punishment should fit the crime. As a matter of fact, it is not, it's, it's unjust to let people continue to do wrong and not step in. Hence, we have God institutes governments, right? And their job is to, Romans tells us, punish evil. Is to keep the peace by punishing evil. And so we have law enforcement. We have, we have different entities in place to, to keep this standard of justice because everybody wants justice. We might not all agree on what it is, but everybody will agree on whatever it is I want it. And so there's this negative side of it where you've earned something, you're gonna, it's coming to you. But it needs to be done. Even justice needs to be executed justly and, and not uh, partially. So Leviticus 24.22 says, You are to have the same mishpat or justice for the alien as the native born. Interesting that God is very concerned, not just in justice, but how we execute it. And without the favoritism. Look, if it's a law, if it's a standard, it needs to be widespread. It needs to apply to everybody. So no partiality. Same rules apply to all. Now, you know, perhaps if you've ever experienced an injustice of, of partiality, then you'll know it's not a good feeling. I think about uh, the partiality that we see in Scripture in some cases where you have um, Rebecca, who was partial over her son Jacob, and I know, over Esau for Jacob. And I know there's divine reasons for all of this, but th- that household lived in it, and it made for unrest. There was not a lot of peace in that household because of partiality. 
Then you saw the same thing with Jacob and all of his sons, and he showed partiality to Joseph. I know there's divine reasons for it, but it was real to these brothers. They were feeling this. It was a sense of injustice. They were not getting what they felt was due to them as sons, but little goody-two-shoes Joseph over here just seems to get a larger portion of the fatherly love that children desire. So when you show partiality, it makes for unrest. Now, you apply that to a society or a culture, and you don't have justice or it's, it's partial, then you're going to find great unrest in that society. Different standards. So then you have the, the positive side of it, of course, and that's where you earn something and you're, you're rewarded for it if if mom and dad say, hey, if you rake the yard, $10, $20. Then you go out and you rake the, job, the yard, you do a good job, and you come in and you can't wait. You've already, the whole time you've been thinking how you're going to spend that money. And then they say, here's your $10. That's an injustice. So you earn things. There's things that we earned in a positive way. Now, one of the things that you think about, so... Um, a contract, if it's written this way, it should be upheld. The courts are filled with litigation for broken contracts. We agreed to this. I earned this. I signed this. I agreed to pay this and receive this. And people are not just. And in order to uphold that, it goes to court. Now, one of the things that we're struggling with in our culture, I'll just touch it in passing, and it, it, what some people say uh, we can't agree on justice as far as transgender goes and sports. It's a real thing in our culture. So you have girls training, say, for track. They're training hard. They are bi- biological females. And then you have a male, say, a 14-year-old male who said, decided that he is a female. So as a female, he joins the girls' team and he participates in the competitions, And goes home with the medals. So our culture can't decide on justice in that area. So the parents and the the biological females are saying that is is not right. And then the other camp says, well, it's not right for you to not identify me as who I have identified myself as. So you see, and it causes great unrest. So these are issues that are very real to us in this day and age. So you have negative and you have the positive but notice that's what probably what we're most familiar with but notice what god seems to zero in on notice how god also exercises his his unstoppable his incalculable power in this world and that is his heart to do right his heart for justice goes towards a certain, almost predictable groups of people that live among us in our world. It may be us. And that is the vulnerable. So God looks down and he sees those groups of people or just individuals that are being treated as if they committed a crime, as if they did something terribly wrong. They're being treated as criminals or as something that they're not. And it's not right. And so God comes to the vulnerable's rescue. 
He promotes that kind of justice in the world. Doing justice means giving them their due of being treated with equal and proper respect as created in the image of God. So let's hear God's heart in this. And perhaps God will speak to us in his word. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So you're you're beginning to get the sense that you have this standard and people get what they deserve. They should get what they've earned, whether it's positive or negative. But also in this world are, are, are pockets of injustice on certain groups of people because they're vulnerable and they're being treated in a certain way that they do not deserve. And because God's very nature is just, he doesn't sit still. He acts, he defends this group, these predictable groups. So when you read the scriptures, you have God often defending and calling for defense. The widows, the orphans, the aliens, or the immigrants, and the poor. So, justice is not just this lofty idea. It's something God does, and it's something Scripture and God calls us to do as His people. To reflect the image of God. And so, when when you see a people of God... That certainly should be something that we see among ourselves is the, the desire that our God has to make wrongs right. And this is one of them. Just to give it some, some um, hands and feet. I really like the way Job coins it or wrestles with it. You know the book of Job. It's like... Chapter after chapter of wrestling with sin and righteousness and justice. And all Job, he he is beset with terrible illness. He's lost his servants. He's lost his children. All his riches are gone. gone. His health is gone. And his good, good friends are saying, Job, you sinned. Because that's how it works. You do wrong. God's justice comes to you. This is all God's justice. Now, Job... He didn't fall for that because he really did search his heart before God and say, you know what, if if I'm to blame, I'll accept it. But I really want to know how can I correct something I don't know that I've really done because I think my heart's pure. So he's wrestling with this. And here's one of these things he wrestles with in his own heart. So if you look into your heart, do do you find fault in any way? And what kind of things or faults might we look for? What kind of things might be lacking in God's sight? So Job 29, 10 through 17, he says, The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help. And the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, 
And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. And I searched out the cause of him who did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous. So as he's evaluating what I may have neglected before God in my life, look at the things that come up. It wasn't like, well, I had my devotion every morning and I read my Bible every day and I attended church every day. It's way far reaching than that. He's saying, I was a voice for those that had no voice in this society. They, they, they didn't have the money. They didn't have the power. They didn't have the recognition or the class. So I played that role for them. They didn't have the money to take care of themselves. When it was within my power to do so, I did that. And he even calls it being clothed. I wore this robe of righteousness. In other words, he walked it. He lived it. He walked it. That was his everyday life before God. These are the things that came to his mind. And, and, he, and he reasons now, had I neglected to, to reach out to those that were so needy, then yes, I can see where I would have been guilty. And that would have been justice. So, you see, it's not just about condemning an evildoer. Or paying people the proper reward for things that they earned. You know, we, we have law enforcement. We have God puts things in place for that. But it's also this idea of that there are people that have needs beyond their means. And in God's economy, he uses those that has means that have been Given the power, I hate to even use the word empowered today because it's so overused. But God empowers us through his spirit to accomplish what he would accomplish in this earth. To come to the rescue, to be the voice of the vulnerable. And in God's economy, that it plays a part in, in righting wrongs. And try as we may, you know there are injustices, even within our justice system. Uh, not so long ago, I watched a movie called Just Mercy. The, the title got my attention. And it was about a lawyer who went to battle for convicts on death row who said, I have been unjustly imprisoned and charged with this crime. Of course, probably most of them would say that. But it turns out, and this is a true story, this lawyer decides he's going to go back, he's going to look into this case, and at the, end of the, at the end of the day, what happened was this man who had been in prison on death row for, I don't think he was on death row that long, but he was on it now anyway because he had, he had protested so much. 30 years. He had spent 30 years behind bars for a crime he did not commit. And it was set free. You can see it's documentaries on it today. Set free. He walks out of that court building a free man. And I think when justices happen like that on earth, it's a powerful moment in this, in this world. Like things shake. I think it, it pleases God so much. It's so important for him that justice be done. And had not this one person risen to the occasion, 
to care, not to, to get beyond the color and the, and the class and society things, all the things that often hold us back, but just to look at it for justice's sake, for humanity as created in the image of God. Justice. History shows that there have been many times, there's many people, they've been killed, they've been tortured, they've been abused, enslaved, imprisoned. Why? Because somebody more powerful than they are wants their way. And the vulnerable often get in the way of the more powerful. And they get abused and stepped on for someone else's interests. And biblically speaking, those are wrongs that need to be righted. And if it's ignored, it's unjust. Then don't we like to just kind of like pilot, I wash my hands clean of this. We live in this world that God created. And the number one rule is that every human being is obligated and it should be their greatest joy to love God. And anything that falls short of that is an injustice. And the second greatest commandment Jesus tells us is to love your neighbor as yourself. So anything that falls short of that in God's eyes, is an injustice. Proverbs 14.31, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So, Old Testament scholar, if you've studied the Old Testament, you'll, you will have heard the name of Bruce Waltke because he's a, he's a big deal when it comes to Old Testament history and Hebrew. He says the word oppress in this proverb It could also, your translation may say slander, scoff. It means to take lightly. So what that means is if you you just ignore the poor, he says, if you take them lightly, if you do not make them important in in your life, if, if they have no impact on how you live, if they have no impact on how you spend your money, if they have no impact on how you spend your time, then you're insulting God himself. You're You're dishonoring God. I mean, when's the last time we've heard anything like that? Justice from heaven's perspective, it bears down on us, doesn't it? Trust me, when I prepared this message, I, actually I wasn't prepared to prepare this message. My heart was not right. This should be a part of my life. If, if, if I don't make it my business, I'm dishonoring God. At first, that seems unjust because I just want to kind of go about my own business. But that's not the way the world works. We are in God's world. Second, walking like God. So how does this happen? Well, our motivation behind it, it's not just about the caring, which is great. It's just not just about the doing good. But as believers, our main motivation that carries us is that We are to be like God. That's our motivation. Because we might run out of care. We might run out of love, so to speak. But if we love God, we want to be like Him. 
So that is our main motivation. It's not for the reward. It's not for the kudos. And doing righting wrongs is a wonderful thing. But being like God is more important than all of that. It's not politics. It's theology, see? So children of God should do justice. Now with that said, the God of justice uses his power. Not just to create the heaven and the earth, as the psalmist told us. But he uses his power to right wrongs. He reveals himself in this world as the God who rights wrongs for the vulnerable. And by the way, if you're in Jesus' day or in the Old Testament, you're, you're reading this psalm. That's so countercultural. Because the gods of that day, if you... If you uh, research their character, what they were known for, they could care less about the little people. They're the gods of the kings. They're the gods of the pharaohs. They're the gods of the big, important people. Nobody cared about the little people. And here comes this God who claims he's the one and only true God, and he cares for the little people. He he uses his power not to make the, the powerful more powerful, for abuse purposes like the pharaohs, but to come beside those that need his help. That's how he reveals himself in this world. Deuteronomy ten seventeen through 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, great and mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And loves a sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So that's how God wants to be known in this world, as countercultural as it may be. So we when we execute justice, we glorify the God that we love. Now, I want to close with one problem that we have. The way that we become more just is by worshiping God, by studying God, by loving God. Because the more you see how holy he is and the more you fall in love with him, the more you will want to be like God. That's our motivation. But what happens is the more we want to be like God, we become in tune, say, with more injustices. And then we might find ourselves crying out. For justice. God, have justice, have justice. The problem with that is, if we're going to be consistent with crying out to God for justice, we have to realize that we're not over here with God in those in the group of, well, we're over here with those who are just and do everything right, and everybody else is over here with those who keep breaking all those rules. The problem with us crying, crying out for justice is that we participate in the injustices of this world. We do not love God as we should. We do not love our neighbors as we should. So how, what, what do we do now when we're caught between wanting to be like God and now I have this heart like God for justice, but... I am not just in my own being. And it creates this terrible dilemma. So let me close with this quote from Timothy Keller. As we prepare ourselves to honor God through worship. And as we prepare ourselves to fellowship with the Spirit of God during Holy Communion.
He says there are people who don't care about justice. There are people who do, do care about justice. And then there are Christians. Christians look at the cross and that tells you two things. One is the cross tells you justice is so absolutely important that God could not set it aside. His son had to die on the cross to satisfy the demands of justice. That means Christians know justice cannot be set aside. It's inviolable. God's justice is so important that Jesus had to die for us. At the same time, we know when we look at the cross, you and I were the perpetrators of injustice. The greatest injustice is we have not treated God as we should. That's the ultimate injustice. God gives us everything and we live as if we belong to ourselves. It's a form of cosmic treason. God gave us everything and we lived as if we belonged to ourselves and he forgave us for that. So the cross not only tells us justice is important, but it also tells us you have been forgiven. Because you've been forgiven and because you know you were a perpetrator of injustice and God forgave you, that sends you out into the world with a unique balance. On the one hand, justice is important. On the other hand, you'll be gracious. You'll be humble. You'll be kind. You won't get haughty against the people who are indifferent or who are perpetrators of injustice. You see how that all pans out? And he says, the cross makes you care about justice, but it sends you out with a kind of merciful, gracious, humble attitude if you learn how to praise and worship the God of justice in light of the cross of Christ. So he says, how are you going to praise the God of justice? How are you going to adore the God of justice? By looking at the cross. Isn't it interesting that it brings us back to the cross? We can't even execute justice without the cross of Christ, without having been forgiven. We have an opportunity this morning to praise this kind of God that has extended His forgiveness to us for all of our injustices and will continue to do so. And not just to be forgiven, but to enter into a spirit of contemplation and fellowship with the living God. May God bless the preaching of His Word.